kind of hard to believe, isn't it, in 2021 that we could survive without a mobile phone. Uh, on the other hand, I was uh, the locum at St Edward's Blackburn South last year, which uh, Mike Flynn's now the locum at, and um, a third of the congregation didn't have a mobile phone, they'd never had the internet, and they, doing a whole lot of digital church stuff was kind of complicated um, because that was a world they'd never, ever had to embrace or even think about. Australia's first mobile phone big system began in Melbourne in August 1981 when the first call was made between telecom executives. But the system was limited to a $5,000 car phone that weighed 14 kilograms, could store just 16 numbers and alerted owners of an incoming call by the honking of the horn or the flashing of the headlights. Can you believe that? That's it there. Uh, it was as, as tall as an iPad, took 10 hours to charge and offered only 20 minutes of talking time. And only about 1,300 customers in Sydney and Melbourne used the network in its first year, but coverage wasn't expanded until all capital cities until 1985. Pretty slow rollout, wasn't it, uh, in terms of rollouts? We won't go into rollouts, that's a different issue. Um, Australia's first handheld mobile phone was, at, was made at the Sydney Opera House on the 23rd of February 1987, where some people parachuted into the Opera House and talked to each other on their phones, which were commonly referred to as the brick. Remember one of those? Anybody here have a brick? I'm not sure if I had one or not. I can't remember. Such a long time ago. I think I might have had one. Uh, they were the first incredibly common mobile phones. Those first phones were affectionately known as the brick, and they only made voice calls and cost more than $4,000, which, if you think about it, in 1987, they were pretty expensive. Now, today there are 32.5 million active mobile services in Australia, which in a population of, what, 25 million, um, you can work out what's going on there. And I think one of the defining images of our age is that image there, is it not? Someone hunched over their phone, staring into a screen. Uh, we all do it. Every time you catch public transport, it's what people are doing on the public transport. Uh, and in all sorts of ways, it's one of the more annoying things is the people crossing streets who don't ever look up. They just launch into the street, head down, uh, and assume that somehow you will be observant enough to avoid hitting them. Uh, that's one of the defining images of our age. Now, we've never been more connected and it's never been easier and relatively inexpensive. Most of us here have multiple devices at home, do we not, in terms of phones, pads, uh, computers, etc., etc. Uh, and that's part of the way we live our lives. Uh, way back when I still lived at home as a student, I was a youth leader and I would have to um, grab the family phone, which in those days had a very long cord, uh, and take it as far away from the lounge room where my father was so I could ring up the youth leaders you know, I'd be making 15 phone calls. Every phone call was monitored uh, because they all cost something. And at the end of every month when the telephone bill came in, I'd have to give account to why I had spent so much money uh, ringing youth leaders. Pretty different era, isn't it, to one that we're living in these days uh, in terms of the context. Well, these days the calls are virtually free and they're unlimited. Uh, I happened to be in Kenya about two years ago at an incredibly remote village and every person in that village had a phone. They were some of the poorest people on the planet, uh, but they all had mobile phones and they constantly came in and out of the meeting I was involved in talking to people because uh, the phones kept bipping and they kept ringing and talking to people in that way. Well, Facebook, Instagram all give the impression that each of us has hundreds of friends, if not thousands, thousands. Now, there are wonderful positives in all of the contemporary technology that we've all learned to embrace and that it's so much a part of our lives living as we do 
in this particular era. We can celebrate people's lives and we can be in touch with lots and lots of people that we rarely ever see, if not ever see, and know about what's happening in their lives and be a part of their lives. But there are downsides and there are challenges. More often than not, we're connecting digitally while potentially behaving badly with the people that we're physically with, because we can create a visage digitally about being a certain sort of person who has a certain sort of image or profile which may not be reflected in the reality on the ground for those who happen to live with us if we are living with someone. Uh, many families these days rarely ever eat together. They just grab the food and go back to their room so they can continue to connect with other people digitally uh, because they don't meet together and eat together in that way. Now, all of this can lead to a profound and heavily ironic sense of isolation. We're connecting but feeling disconnected. And as Kerry Niehoff in the book that we're thinking about together called Didn't See It Coming, which now that we're meeting together physically, since we started the series, you can buy one if you want to, uh, at, on the table at the back of the church there. Uh, and there are related small group studies, which you can also pick up physically, because we're meeting together physically today, uh, if you want to participate. He puts it this way. He says, this is our strange 21st century paradox. We're connected to more people than ever before, but we've never felt more alone. So is technology the blame? Would it be better off if we just ditched it all and returned to the 1970s? Would our lives be simpler and better and healthier and happier? Let's face it, people were still disconnected prior to mobile devices and the internet. The reality is that the technology amplifies our human tendencies. Back in the days when we were just used paper, it could be used for good as well as ill. Uh, I do recall sitting in high school using bits of paper as a spitball. Uh, Big biros were very good for that. Does anybody remember doing that? Or was it just, oh, every hand went up. That's amazing. Uh, well, all the men did anyway. So, um, yeah, so paper could be used for good and was for ill. When we used to write letters to people, you'd sometimes regret things that you'd put into a letter that had been posted because uh, you couldn't edit or delete it, uh, and that would have sometimes terrible consequences. Now, if you're prone to be a workaholic, then the capacity to be always connected means you can now continuously connect anywhere, anytime, because everything's synced. It's incredibly brilliant, is it not? You can do emails at four o'clock in the morning or you can do emails uh, or other connections or posts at any time, anywhere. If you have troubles with intimacy, then you can easily substitute forms of intimacy at the touch of a button. And if you're a narcissist, then social media is a paradise because it lets the world know how incredibly amazing you really are. Technology didn't create these tendencies, it just creates a powerful vehicle to amplify them. So today we're reflecting on the important but uncomfortable issue of loneliness. And loneliness is a major issue in our community which has been dramatically escalated by the lockdowns that we've all endured in the past 15 months. Uh, if your diary's like my diary, it's got more cancellations in it than things that actually happened. Uh, and the weeks and the days just seem like a blur because there's so many things that don't happen uh, and connections have become incredibly complicated. At present, we can't have visitors to our home. I heard a lady on Talkback the other day ringing up saying why it wasn't that she couldn't play bridge with her friend at home, but she could go to the bridge club and club and play, friend, play bridge uh, where other people would be present. And it was a complicated conversation as all of those conversations tend to be. Well, tech, uh, so, so all of us have uh, at present, sorry, sorry, if you Google loneliness, you'll find an endless stream of articles about this pandemic of loneliness that's impacting people in Western culture. The United Kingdom government has a minister for loneliness. 
Now, I have no idea what the Minister for Loneliness actually does, uh, but it does reflect the fact that this is a, an issue. There's much that one, one could say about in this space, and there's much more for you to discuss in connect groups in relation to this particular issue and why we happen to be in this particular place at this point in time in our culture. Uh, I should add that we, you can actually meet on-site by negotiation physically uh, as a small group if you would like to do that, uh, because we're allowed to have groups of more than 10 in the building, uh, but you can't meet in your home at present. So if you'd like your connect group to meet together practically, physically, um, then if you contact us, we can arrange for you to get access to the buildings. Uh, Kerry Niehoff in the book suggests that there are two things that have happened to many of us. The first is, he says, the demise of good conversation. How often do we feel that people we are with are more interested in telling us something as opposed to listening? They're actually making statements or declarations or telling stories or filling us, regaling us with incidents rather than actually engaging in a genuine conversation. How often do people ask good questions as opposed to just talking? Now, one theory is that we've taken what we do in social media and transferred that into our day-to-day -day interactions. Rather than chatting, we broadcast our opinions uh, and our point of view as a basis for people to react. Good conversations are the true basis of a sense of connection. And for many people, they are few and far between, and for some people, they really ever happen. So the demise of good conversation. But secondly, the death of confession. Curiously, Niehoff suggests that confession is tied up with this growing sense of disconnection. And he argues we've stopped confessing and spend more time seeking to justify our actions. The classic public confession these days is not to admit fault, but to express remorse for the impact of your actions on others. That's what happens all the time, is it not, in the public domain. When we truly confess, we come before God and others and we own up to the reality of who we truly are. We aren't the perfect people that, we, uh, people that, we, 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 uh, that Instagram or Facebook presents to the wider world. We're not all, that we, not, not all bad, but we're not all good. And as Ali was preaching about last week, where there's complex mix of people who have high aspirations that we don't always fulfil, but people who sometimes get there, but no, we don't always get there. That's our reality. Each of us are broken, self-centered, ego-driven people who aren't everything we aspire to be. As Brené Brown, who has one of the most popular talks, TED Talks that's ever been given on vulnerability, has put it, the key to intimacy is vulnerability and openness. It's being honest and real and letting people see into the reality of who we truly are rather than what we might like to think they might think about us. Progress for each of us is linked to our willingness to confess both to God and to others. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm often self-preoccupied when at home uh, and therefore not easy to be with because I have my head's full of other stuff uh, and therefore it's hard to disconnect from that and to connect in a better way with others. That's a major barrier to real conversation and real interaction and it needs to be faced up to and acknowledged. This morning I wonder whether you sometimes or often feel disconnected. I wonder how many real friends you really perhaps think you have. I wonder whether your friends are like many of ours, people who you rarely ever see, uh, and after tortuous negotiation that can sometimes take months, uh, you find a date when you might actually be able to get together, and if it's been in the last 15 months, it's generally been cancelled. Uh, I mean, we're having dinner with missionary friends of ours tomorrow night, and this is the fourth attempt to have a meal together before they return back 
to where they've come from. All our work and family demands are so consuming that there's little time left. And I wonder if whether you're constantly being told like, so, that, that so many people are so lonely and there are ways uh, that we should be able to respond. And personally and as a church, if loneliness is a big issue in our culture and our context, then what are we doing so that we're not a place where loneliness is actually a feature? There was a lovely article in The Age recently about a church in Ascot Vale that started the community kiosk, which had free food for anyone and became a key community hub where lots of people were connecting and lots of people were actually meeting others for the first time. Similarly, last year at St Thomas's Burwood, they started giving out food week in and week out for international students living in their vicinity near Deakin University, and it in its own way became a key community hub and a place of connection. At, at present here at St Columns, there's a lot of internal conversation going on, I mean not internal, conversation rather going on, about the cafe space and whether it can become a hub in our community. Uh, it's there, it's got the potential to do that, uh, and there's some really creative conversations happening about that. Let's be honest, many of us do feel disconnected and some would suggest that it's more an issue for men than for women. Uh, and that's another aspect of that conversation. The past mid 15 months have amplified the sense of disconnection and isolation and loneliness in a more acute sense for many people, particularly single people who have been forced to live on their own for extended periods as we all have. So if you're feeling disconnected, what can you do about it? Well, firstly, we should kind of come back to the reality that we believe in a God of relationship. The Christian faith is not technically a religion. It's about a personal relationship with a living God. And that God is a God of relationship within himself. And one of the revelations of Scripture is that the Holy Trinity, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that within the Trinity there's a dynamic interrelationship going on. If you read John's Gospel in particular, Jesus gives us a lot of insight into the nature of that relationship. It wasn't just a theological concept, it was a dynamic relationship between Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And God invites us as a God of relationship to be people who are designed and built for relationships with God and with each other. The Christian faith is not about a set of rituals that you have to fulfill or about a set of edicts that you have to uphold. It's about a relationship with a living God that we share with each other as God's people. Now today, rather than just talking about this, I thought it would be good for us to do something tangible. So we're going to actually have the Bible reading from Psalm 139 in several parts. And at the end of each part, we'll have a time of silence for personal reflection and personal prayer as we remind each other afresh of the profoundness of this God who invites us into relationship with himself. So we'll have the first section now. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. So let's have a moment of silence and a time to reflect on those beautiful words.
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would say the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's great to know that we believe in a God who wants to connect. Uh, there's nowhere we can go where his presence is not available to us and there's no place that we can be where we can't personally turn to him and talk and connect and respond to him. He loves us, he cares for us, he accepts us uh, in all of our warts and failures as well as our strengths and our contributions and he wants us to respond to him. So how do we reconnect if this issue of connection is a big issue for us? Should we ditch all of our technology? 
couple of years ago I stumbled across this book uh, in a bookshop called The End of Absence and about it's not a Christian book but about a guy who attempted to live without any technology for 12 months uh, and it's a really beautifully profound book because it was deeply traumatic um, at every level uh, he does this train trip in Canada where you can get this train that goes up to the tundra and you go into the sort of great void where there's just nothing there's, there's no trees it's just the edge, the edge of the Arctic Circle uh, and like there's no technology in that space, and it was a profoundly scary and freaky experience to be there. Well, I don't think that's the answer. Technology isn't necessarily the problem because it's a human problem, which, as I've said, technology amplifies. So what should we foster? Well, we need to develop the art of good conversation. We all know the joy of being with someone who is genuinely interested in you, and we all know the drag it is when you're with someone who only ever talks about themselves. In James chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We all have to cultivate the art of good conversation, and part of that is being interested actively with others rather than being preoccupied in talking about yourself. Uh, for a number of years, we had a friend who was serving as a missionary in another part of the, the world, and he used to come back to Australia every 12 months, and we... Uh, got into this pattern of running a dinner party where we invited some of his extended network of people for dinner uh, because that was kind of the only way we were actually going to be able to touch base with him. Uh, and uh, the first year or so it was a bit awkward and I had this brain, I, I had this sort of idea um, uh, after about two years of having a quiz where we actually, because he put out these extensive prayer diaries, so the, the quizzes was built around his prayer diaries and around sort of, you know, remembering things that he'd done. And this person's fairly introverted and fairly quiet, so they found the dinner party fairly intimidating. But when we did the quiz, it all came alive uh, because he was able to sort of start talking about who he was, what he was doing, and some of the things that we're involved in. That was just trying to cultivate a good conversation. We're all different, so each of us probably has different things to work on when it comes to being involved in better conversing and better chatting. We each probably know in our heart of hearts what this involves. And I think this is a really good thing for you to converse about in connect groups this week or small groups. You know, what is it that actually would be helpful for you to do in order to cultivate better conversation for you as a person? One of the tensions that every church has that there is that there is a mix of people, some of whom have been together for decades and others have only been here for three weeks or six weeks or six months. Uh, building community is something that's never fixed. You never arrive at building community. You've got to keep investing in it, keep doing it. We say farewell to people, we welcome people, and we've got to keep including people in our lives. And that's part of the business of being a true community in a place of friendship, which is a place where you don't feel lonely at church, but you feel connected profoundly with others. But secondly, we need to disconnect in order to connect better. We just did a little example of that very briefly as we reflected on Psalm 139 together a minute ago. So here are a few ideas. Shut everything off at mealtimes except perhaps some music. So turn the TV off, you know, get rid of the phones and the technology at meals and make those meals a genuine time where you're connecting with each other. Don't answer telephone calls when you're with someone. Uh, put your phone in your pocket or your handbag when you're with someone. That's a little discipline I've tried to get into recently. Uh, and because I think if you have your phone just sitting on the cafe table, it does give the impression that you're available to be interrupted any time uh, and that the person you're with is actually not that significant. Now, there might be times when you can't do that because you are in the middle of something significant, 
but as a principle, I think it's a good thing to think about. Don't watch, rather play together. Uh, many people have re-embraced playing board games in the last few years. Uh, one of the things that really surprised me with the young adults at St Hilary's, I know I'm not meant to mention that place, I apologise, um, but is they used to be heavily into board playing board games, which, you know, kind of surprised me, but was a good way of connecting with people. Um, get out and get out and about. If we've had anything we could do in the last year or so, it's been getting out and about and going for lots of walks and connecting with people in that way. Have people around at your house, share on holidays together. Activate the do not disturb mode on your device. Keep the electronics out of the bedroom uh, and don't clear emails before you go to bed. Are very simple things to do in order to be able to connect better with the people that we're with as well as with God himself. Now there are undoubtedly many other things that you could be doing as well as that list. Well I wonder whether you are feeling disconnected. I wonder whether what's going on with, with, with what it's going to take to get better connected. And I wonder what needs to perhaps change for you as well as me. How can we help each other to better connect? Because Christian community is meant to be about the reality of our lives, not just sort of some sort of thing that we go through the motions with. And if that's a challenge for you, that ought to be a challenge that we share with others and support each other in seeking to respond to. How can we slow down in order to allow some real time for God and the people around about us? And if we do slow down a bit, uh, we might in fact get better in touch with ourselves. And if we're more in touch with ourselves, we might be better able to be in touch with God and others. Well, disconnection is a big issue in our culture, as well as for many people, and it's a challenge for all of us to connect better with others as well as with God, and we need to be praying for God's help to do that together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do indeed thank you for the fact that you are a God who loves us, who intimately connects with us and wants us to respond in a true sense of relationship. We thank you for inviting us to be your friends and to partner our lives with you. And we pray, Lord, that you'd bless us with friends and people who we can genuinely connect with. And we pray, too, that you'd help us to be a church that's imaginatively thinking about how we can be a place of friendship and love and connection for the many people in our community who don't sense that connection and who feel desperately alone. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen.